Welcome to Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD. Here's your host. I'm Dr. Andrew Wilner. With me today is neurologist Dr. Lawrence Robbins, director of the Robbins Headache Clinic in Riverwoods, Illinois, and author of several books on headache, including Advanced Headache Therapy, Outpatient Strategies. We're going to discuss evidence-based approaches to selecting acute, preventive, and behavioral treatments for migraine patients. Dr. Robbins, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you very much. Let's start with your perspective on the resources that headache specialists such as yourself turn to for updating your practice. Are there any common treatment algorithms or evidence-based recommendations that are utilized? Well, unfortunately, algorithms have not worked out very well with most headache patients, and headache docs do not tend to use them because everybody is really unique with headaches. If you have 100 headache patients, we end up going 100 different ways with our top 10 lists. There are a couple of chat groups for headache, one through this wonderful organization, the Southern Headache Society, but most headache docs use journals and meetings, and mostly online resources. I understand that you developed and published your own gestalt for treating migraines based on gathering over 100 data points from the patient's history, such as headache characteristics, frequencies, triggers, and comorbidities. Can you tell us a little about this approach and how it guides your treatment decisions? Well, I call it the art of headache medicine, we put many inputs into our brain and come up with our top 10 list for that patient. And I want to go over a few of these inputs that we and factors that we consider. First of all, the headache history, how they came about. Nuance that daily persistent headache, NDPH, is tougher to treat than transformed migraine. We look at the age. We do treat headaches a lot differently, and particularly refractory headaches at 16 versus 70. And we treat the old at 70 or 75 much differently than the very old at 95. We look at their history of meds, past and present, and also the family history of meds. I call it the placebo by proxy and the nocebo by proxy. If mom brings in her daughter, Caitlin, and says, I had a horrible reaction to topiramate, that might be the nocebo by proxy where we'll avoid topiramate. We look at the patient's input, of course, is crucial the presence of nausea and vomiting and how quickly the headaches get bad, but also comorbidities. They drive where we go. So psych comorbidities, we're always on the lookout for soft bipolar and personality disorder, medical conditions, of course, and other central sensitization syndromes. Many people with headaches also have fibro or CPP or TMD or other central sensitization syndromes, and it makes it more difficult to treat. And also GI drives where we go. If they have IBS, diarrhea is easier. Some of our meds may help that, but constipation is tougher. Weight gain, a lot of patients cannot stand any weight gain, so we'll avoid meds that do that. And fatigue, fatigue is a huge comorbidity with headache patients, so we don't want to increase it with our meds. Of course, finances come into play. If they cannot afford an expensive med or treatment, we'll avoid it. And job requirements are important. If it's February and they are an accountant, we don't want to start topiramate, for instance, and make people spacey. And we also assess various conditions, resilience, catastrophizing, and acceptance are important. But in the end, we use our gestalt, our feeling at that first visit, what's best for the patient, 
the top 10 list, and we want to make sure we mark on the chart for the future what we're considering would be good, but just as importantly, what not to use. For instance, don't use antidepressants if they've had severe reactions. So in the end, we use that top 10 list so that when headache patients call in three weeks or they come in and see you or your partner, we can just use an appropriate medicine and we don't have to reinvent the whole history and physical. How does the impact of migraines on patient quality of life factor into your treatment criteria? Is this a core part of your approach? Quality of life, of course, is very important. I don't use the formal quality of life surveys. I think they're more appropriate for studies. But at each visit, we do ask about pain level on a 1 to 10 scale, functioning, which includes exercise, work, isolation. It's a very isolating society, and we see a lot of isolation and loneliness. And we ask about moods, which do include anxiety, depression, insomnia, but also energy level and fatigue. And this gives us a good indication about quality of life with each visit. So with all of that information, if we focus on the acute therapies, of which there are several, what kinds of factors make patients more or less eligible to be treated pharmacologically versus with other means? Well, acutely outside of meds, a dark room and sunglasses are friends to migraineurs and ice packs. That's an old treatment. But as far as the medications, the triptans are number one. They've been around for 25 years. Sumatriptan was the granddaddy of them. And in the beginning, we didn't know if they were safe. We would just do them in the office and check an EKG. And over the 25 years, with 200-plus million patients, these really have proven to be extremely safe. I always say use new drugs a lot while they're still safe. We don't know with new drugs. But with the triptans, they've been terrific. So we'll try two or three of these at least before giving up on the class. Some patients need a nasal spray or an injection of a med. Outside of the triptans, we have a potpourri of various medicines. We have all the NSAIDs, and there's a powdered NSAID, isometheptane, which is difficult to obtain now. It's off the market except compounded, so we use the compounding pharmacies for isometheptane, and we can add caffeine in there. And we use various types of analgesics and pain medicines. Nausea medicines are very important. Over-the-counter, we have ginger, but mostly we'll use Ondansetron, sometimes promethazine, et cetera. And many patients have four to six abortive meds around. They'll have their OTCs, their triptan, they'll have their nausea med, they might have a little cortisone for a menstrual migraine, and they'll have their rescue meds to keep them out of an ER. For those just joining us, this is Rethinking Migraine on ReachMD, and I'm Dr. Andrew Wilner. I'm speaking with Dr. Lawrence Robbins about evidence-based treatment selection criteria for migraine patients. Continuing with acute therapies, we know that patients with chronic migraine often struggle in deciding when to take acute treatments. What are some recurring themes that you look for to guide patients either toward or away from acute therapies? Well, unfortunately, only about 50% of people at most with chronic migraine achieve long-term success with preventives, and that includes our onabotulinum toxin, which is our best preventive. So the other 50% rely on abortive medicines, and they're often told not to take this, not to take that. They're told that they have medication overuse headache reflexively, and I think that's 
overdiagnosed and somewhat poorly defined because we have this entity medication overuse, which is conflated and confused with medication overuse headache. So say we define medication overuse as 10 or 15 days, depending on which medicine a month, of taking some analgesic or triptan. These patients are not necessarily having medication overuse headache. We have to really take a careful history. What happened with that medicine? Did it increase their headaches? And then see what happens when we take them off, which is not easy. So many patients are told, don't take medication more than two days a week. And the second half of the sentence is not answered, which is, well, I have to work. I have three kids. I have headaches seven days a week. What do I do the other five days? And many physicians don't answer that. So unfortunately, with chronic migraine and frequent migraines, we end up relying very often on the abortive as-needed medications. We do desperately need better preventives, and hopefully they are coming pretty soon. So turning to preventive therapy, how do you determine which patients are most likely to benefit from preventives? The comorbidities drive where we go. Patients have to be willing to take something every day. And all those factors that I previously listed go into our top 10 list for the headache patients, so everybody is different. As far as preventives, we generally have five classes of preventives, including natural. Probably the most effective natural over-the-counter is Patadolex that was developed in Germany for a while. It was the number one headache treatment in Germany. Magnesium sometimes does work for people. Our most effective tends to be onabotulinum toxin type A, and it's also been around for 22 years. About 8 million patients have had it. It's FDA indicated, actually, for chronic migraine, and there's a great deal of evidence. And then the other classes, we have antidepressants, mostly the older tricyclics, anticonvulsants, topiramate and valproate are the number one and two, and we have various hypertensive meds, beta blockers, calcium channel, but I use quite a bit of the ARBs, the ARBs, such as Losartan, Candesartan. There is reasonably good evidence for these, and they have significantly less side effects. But we do need better preventives, and hopefully they will be coming soon. Now, there is a phenomenon in clinical practice that a large percentage of patients who could benefit from preventives are never offered them. Where do you think this problem stems from? There are a number of issues. Uh, most patients don't see a doctor for headaches, or sometimes they'll just mention it in passing. They'll go to the gynae or the GP, and at the end of the visit say, oh, by the way, I have these menstrual migraines, etc." And only about 7% of chronic migraine patients are on preventives, so we have a long way to go. Many are given a preventive and stop it after a week, They'll have some side effect or they're not told that you need to wait three to six weeks for efficacy. So we need better preventives, but we need better education also of young doctors on headache, and that's always a struggle. Now, we've discussed a lot about medication therapy. What about behavioral therapies? Should they integrate into most migraine treatment plans, or are they more select for certain patient characteristics? I think these are very important. It takes a village to raise a severe headache patient. It takes a village to raise a pain patient. And we recruit other villagers. The most common is psychotherapy. If it was up to me, half the country would see a psychotherapist. But because of money and time, 
uh, and insurance people often don't. But we often see the comorbidities, anxiety, depression, so we'll refer to therapy. Physical therapy is our second most common referral, particularly for posterior pain and neck pain. About half of migraineurs have neck pain, and the good physical therapists teach stretching and posture. They assess their posture. They look at what they're doing on the computer, et cetera, et cetera. And then we have a variety of other referrals, uh, biofeedback sometimes, meditation therapists. There are good meditation apps such as Calm or Headspace. And sometimes acupuncture helps, massage, other modalities. The idea in the end is to minimize meds and achieve a balance between medication and headache. With that, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Lawrence Robbins, for sharing his experience and insights treating patients with migraine. Dr. Robbins, it was great having you on the program. Thank you very much. I'm Dr. Andrew Wilner. To access this episode and others in this series, visit ReachMD.com, where you can be part of the knowledge. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Clinician's Roundtable. To access this episode and others in this series, please visit ReachMD.com. We encourage you to leave comments and share this program with your colleagues. This is ReachMD. Be part of the knowledge.